And we are back. Thank you for joining us for another issue of The Dots. And uh, joined, as always, by the Brain Trust, Mr. Chase Taylor. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm horrified. Uh, the Qs have closed red two times in a row. Yeah, barely, but hey. What is going on, and are we going to live? Uh, probably not. I think this is an extinction event. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's a financial version of Armageddon. Uh, okay, so what do we got as far as data? We didn't really have any much data today. But did we have anything? No, we did not. But we didn't talk about Sluice yesterday because it, it was kind of midday that it came out. Um, I mean, that sounds like a. We we had another. Sounds like a. That's a barn burner. We, we got to get to the old Sluice. We had another classic. No one understands how it works. Moment, but uh, the number of banks tightening did did move down. But again, that's versus the last time. So it. It's incredibly tight. You know that's a mining term, a sluice box? I do know that because yeah. I used to actually go uh, panning for gold. No kidding. Yeah, in the American River in Northern California. So you're one of those gold guys. 100% one of those gold guys. Did you find any? No, not really. Not really. And I even got to learn the, the, the like literal lesson in fool's gold, which was which was a lot of fun. That stuff really does. Pyrite really does look like gold. Oh, it looks just uh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we found a little bit like, you know, like you'd have like a tiny little vial with like a couple of flakes in it after you worked back breaking all day to put, you know, a shocking amount of water and dirt through a sluice box. But but it was fun. No, it's it. it, it there's um, modern mines are really disappointing. Like for, for if you haven't been to one, you know, I grew up around them. So was, but I've taken other people and they're like. Where's it? And I'm like, oh, you don't see anything. It's just rock, yeah. right? But it gets crushed. Yeah, but so, but my dad was. I think I've told you, CEO of a publicly traded gold mining company, and it's up in it's up in uh, Colorado, a little town called Lake City. Like the annual population, it's 38 people in the winter, and it swells to 500 people in the summer. And uh, you're like 10,000 feet elevation, 9,500 feet elevation, mouth of the mine. And <clears throat> what was what was fascinating about it is it was a it was a uh, it was a Telluride load type deposit and, th- and those can get very, very rich. So the, of the 120, th- very small mine, but of the 120,000 ounces that they pulled out commercially over the last, it's been in commercial production a couple times, but while my dad's crew was running, they pulled out 122,000 ounces and their average, their average grade on that 122,000 ounces was 16 ounces per ton of gold. You know, like you get, three to five grams per ton in an open pit operation. So anyway, you would get into areas that were so rich, you could see the gold in, in the rock oh, yeah. in pockets and you could see it on the wall, you know, when you were into one of those hot spots. So anyway, random story. But when you see that, you kind of like understand the old stories about gold fever because, oh yeah, you know, you see gold. If you, if you ever see some of the some of the massive chunks like oh. that, that were found in the early days, you realize like why everyone did it. Well, they they were they were picking freaking nuggets out of the rivers. I mean, nobody right. touched it, right? I mean, it was just they were virgin. And uh, but we yeah, when you see that gold, you know, you're looking at a wall, right? It's it's a weird experience. It's rock. You're in a mountain, and there's just this piping of gold running down the wall. It's just a trip. So fun, fun story here before we keep going. But we actually had like a, an unofficial guide. And it was not at all a guy. We went to like a mining outfitting store to buy all of our stuff. And there's this old man there. We start talking to him. He knows everything about about gold and gold panning in the, you have in the a white area. White beard and was he wearing overalls? 
Uh, pretty much, yes. Like Sweet. he was yep. basically Gus Chiggins. Love it. Yeah, he lived like in an RV off the grid on some land. He had a hound or two. He, he literally supported his entire life, which wasn't much, but from just the gold he pulled out of the river and sold. Like, and he he taught us some tricks of the trade. Like the best time to do it was after a flood. One of the best places to look is actually in the moss on the rocks, like where the flood would like push some up in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was fun and it was very interesting. It's kind of I'm kind of surprised he was he was you know. Willing to tell us that stuff? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was, yeah. he probably didn't tell you the hot pockets. He's probably got his spots. He had to withhold something. And we learned a lot about government regulation because we wanted to dredge and we learned about how not legal that was and stuff. So something tells me this was probably not a fan of government regulation generally. Oh, that guy? No, not, not so much. Yeah. He, that's, he trusts, he trusts in his shotgun, his old Ford pickup, and his blue tick hound. Yeah. And, you know, a 10 cup for his, for his whiskey. That's all you need. Yeah. Yep. And he did have dogs. I honestly don't remember. Just say he did. Oh yeah, he had a uh, hounds. He had to have hounds. Yeah, de- definitely had had some hounds. Blue healer. There's a bloodhound in there. I can see it now. Uh, a German shorthaired pointer, though. You know that was that was the one to go find find the nuggets. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've got a dog that's half German shorthaired pointer, and I never thought, but maybe she could be a good gold hound. Clearly. Yeah. Okay. So back to back to indexes. Index is pretty boring on the day. We don't care about the Dow, S and P, Nasdaq. Basically, flirting around flat, slightly positive for both, but relatively flat on the day. Correct. Yeah. Small caps were the were the winner up point nine. Um, so so um, something you and I were talking about. This seems pretty seems pretty straightforward at this point. Um, and I think it's kind of funny because it's a bit of a Mexican standoff here, but. It seems to me the market's looking at Powell going, yeah, say whatever you want. You have to cut. I don't know because, I mean, all the market pricing, you're still – we still have taken essentially two and a half hikes. or two. Always, it's funny. I keep seeing, hearing other people say hikes instead of cuts. We, we still have two and a half cuts that were, were there that are not there right now. So I know, but no one cares. Oh, and, if, and, if you and, mean from the market and, side, sure. Well, no, and I just think but, it's – what's, what's weird is we had those days with like – the the 10-year up 14 basis points and stocks up. And then today, the 10-year the is down and, and stocks are down. So, like, it, it's just – I just think it's just straight chaos. I think flows are dominating everything right now, and I don't think it's going to make sense until it makes sense. And people are like, yeah, duh. And I'm just like, look, I, you're looking for insight here. This market is just like a it's, – it's like a drunk, injured bull, you know? <laughs> just Like, just stay out of its way. I'm not – it's not safe to go in the arena. And I ain't going in there. Uh, but the – the the fascinating thing that I, you and I were talking about it. It makes it like look valuations are perverse. We all know the fundamental story. We've gone on and on about that enough. But you're setting up a scenario where <laughs> you may see the Fed with inflation re inflation reaccelerating, cutting into a market that's rampaging higher, and flirt you know approaching thirty times earnings. It's just it's just kind of crazy because. You know, I, I've ranted and raged about the Fed enough. We've expressed j- to sit there and watch this. And, and again, maybe they get a stick save. Maybe they don't have to have it. But I just kind of feel like remember when the whole meme, it, it started with Terrell Owens. Remember when he was like, get your popcorn ready. I, I just I feel like that's kind of one of those things where I'm just I, I, I'm that I'm that gazelle or whatever it is, the goat that's like eating the popcorn and the meme. You know what I mean? And and I'm just sitting back going, I, I, I can't wait to watch how this unfolds because it looks like they're going to be forced to cut right into it. I just never thought I'd see these things happen, you know? Speaking of some of the action today, like the uh, regional banks got got hit again for another like one, one and a half percent today. Like they keep leaking lower. So 
that there's parts of the market like that that could force them to do something. Um, yeah, it, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be very interesting because this thing is at the moment, at least it's, it is really hot. Can I, can I, so let, let me, let me make a financial justice warrior uh, confession to you. Um, and it really, I hope, I hope, yeah, I hope you get this. I hope the listeners get it. Cause I, I really do feel like I've extinguished for the most part, my internal financial justice warrior. But, uh, I think the most part is doing a lot of work in that sentence, sir. The, what, what? The, the, for the most part is doing a lot of work in that sentence. <laughs> Well, look, I, I think that you have to make a, I think that you have to make a delineation between being fundamental and being a financial justice warrior. I am somebody that looks at the market fundamentally and I'll never not look at it that way. Um, and it's just always going to be, you know, Buffett talks about it. Like you, it's value investors are born, you know, they're not, they're not made. I just think it's part, you know, you look at you naturally, you, you know, where you naturally gravitate, I think toward charts and technicals. I just naturally gravitate toward fundamentals. So I don't think me me griping about the fact that I feel like my hands are tied because prices are just insane. I, I don't believe that everything should have to come down, right? Would I like to return to a market that was primarily fundamentally driven? Yes. Uh, I just think it's more healthy and less dangerous and, and certainly makes my job easier. Um, you know, but having said that, there is a part of me that there's something baked into markets that I think is a very important part of markets, which is they, they, it may take a while, but they tend to always administer justice, right? Like they, they tend to, like, everybody's got to take their licks, right? Unless you're Jim Simons. Uh, yeah. Unless you, <laughs> unless you actually figured the thing out, yeah, unless yeah. you broke it. Yeah. Um, and I just, I would like, it just amazes me. I just feel like for 15 years, the Fed has been dancing through the rain and has avoided getting wet. And they haven't entirely, obviously. But now it just seems like you're you're building toward this situation where none of their games or none of their machinations work. And they're just going to have to, well, and look, like I said, maybe maybe the pressure of this move dissipates and maybe the situation takes care of itself, which is entirely possible. I'm not saying it's not. But it would be really fascinating to see them get into that point where they really don't have a choice, right? They got to cut and 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 just accept the fact that it's going to just make inflation surge again, or they're going to have to stay the course and just deal with negative financial outcomes, right? right? Like, and the, and I just I don't think there's any. The further they go, they, I just you again. I don't think they're there yet. There's an out. I mean, if the it was like you said yesterday and we've said it before, but it was just funny the way you worded it. Cause I sat there and I laughed and I was like, yeah, you know what they need? They need a mild recession. Like that would fix all their problems. Yeah, so you just made me think of something and this is interesting. And I still remember the first time I was explaining to me that the way that they essentially cool, cool things when they're too hot is just to like, it's literally to make normal people lose their job. And, and that sounds so crazy, but that is literally the lever they pull to cool things off is to force you to lose their job. And I feel like on uh, being honest, they don't have any problem doing that. Um, but this, what's awkward is they may get to a situation where you're faced with, instead of that being your lever, your lever is, is to watch banks um, and levered financial players on wall street, be the ones that, that take the bath, not, not, you know, working class people. Um, that the the new the new like outlet the new the new like valve becomes 
wow, hmm. becomes finance instead of, you know, Joe the plumber. You know what, man? That, you and they, that I, that I don't think they're comfortable with. I don't. I don't think they care if a million people lose their job. I think. I think they, they care should. if private equity starts blowing up. And that's what they should care about. One hundred percent. Yeah. No. Hey, look. You just you got me excited there for a second because I sat there and I thought, boy, I, I don't. I never thought I'd ever entertain that happening, but you're right. Like the, and this to me is the pernicious nature and that, that this is what makes it so ridiculous when Powell sits up there in an interview and says he has nothing to do with the wealth gap. You sit there and go, all of your policy does. Are you kidding me? All of your policy is again, I know it's not what you're trying to do and I'm not insinuating right. you're trying to do that, but I also insinuating they're being idiots if they really believe that because they're not looking at the ramifications of their own yeah, policy. I, the combination of, of QE and, and then the very successful lobbying of the asset management industrial complex, you know, the monsters that manage trillions of dollars now through passive, like that combination absolutely has led to rampant inequality. Yeah. Wealth inequality. Well, and, and well, and, and income inequality. Well, let, let's look at the last 15 years, right? This whole run up has seen the greatest wealth disparity of all time, right? When did that wealth disparity reach its zenith? When the Fed and the government were the most active, right? So literally you can watch that wealth disparity grow with their increasing involvement and, and, and right. Like that's not conspiratorial. It's just a right. fact. It wasn't all them, but it, it was impossible without them. That's the way I would, I would phrase yeah. it. Yep. Yep. And I think government has just as much blame. I'm not. You yeah. Know, that, like, and we hit like a truly a real innovation boom where like a lot of people made a shocking amount of money, you know, coming out of Silicon Valley because they made real, real mousetraps we all wanted and needed. Yep. Yep. And yeah. So yeah, there's, there's certain, there, there's certain reasons for it, but you look back on it. It's really clear to me that the monetary policy by far impacts asset prices the most. And when you're driving up asset prices, you inspire people to chase asset prices, not to invest in the real economy. Because investing in the real economy, you know, like you and I have talked about a hundred times. And and again, I don't think this is evil from the Fed. Even the Fed actually admitted this, and I actually to their credit, in my opinion, and said that they didn't anticipate the reaction. And this is what so frustrated me because I'm like, just bring in a money manager. Hey, you don't even need a good one. Right. They'll just tell you, nope, sorry, it's not going to work that way. If you start front-running asset prices, no one's going to use the benefit of that to make real investments. They're going to front-run whatever you're buying. And they're not going to hire more people because you, you hire more people because you need to make profit. When you hand everybody a magic profit card, they don't need to hire people. Right. And I think I think that's some of what you're seeing now. And like, I mean, Meta's laying people off despite their explosion revenue. Like it. Because they don't, you don't need them. Inflation, like, bro. Yeah, that and <laughs> I, and then 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 you see like their operating income, one hundred fifty six percent year over year. Like, yeah. Well, that's what you can do whenever you whenever you have that 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 level drop. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's it, it's just wild. But I think that uh, it, the other thing too is and and this is where it gets really interesting. Literally, just interesting to me. You know, just meaning like I I think I'm such a nerd about this kind of stuff that I am really fascinated about this. I'm just fast. I'd love to be a fly on the wall inside those FOMC meetings and see if they see it. It kind of feels like you're watching a chess game. Well, you can read the transcript in five years. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, but you, you ever been, you ever been in a chess match or you ever been watching a chess match where you go, uh Oh, they don't see it. Right. You see something like four or five moves out there and you either, you've either got them or you're watching somebody else that's got them. And you realize that other person just has no clue. I kind of feel like that's the fed. 
Meaning, I, I would really, and I could be 100% wrong, but I would really love to know if this discussion has ever had there. Hey, guys, we're flirting with the potential of having resurging inflation and collapsing banks at the same time. And and in that environment, they have to cut, right? Yeah, this it's the kind of thing you should at least be brainstorming. And they have that little like financial stability like shop within the Fed. And it's like just like a, a small handful of crazy people. <laughs> and their job is basically to like look for rogue stuff and like find like these threats that no one cares about or is talking about. They're the guys that don't get invited to anything. No, parties. they're awesome. Like, oh, they're probably the only ones yeah. we'd like to hang out with. Yeah. yeah. And but they never listen to them of course like oh, no. so no. yeah um these but guys that, were probably screaming duration like 15 months ago right they're like guys to your point though like about like looking even two moves ahead like it was so obvious you were going to get a bunch of inflation then to me at least it was so obvious you were going to get a bunch of decelerating inflation they missed both dramatically and now they're now i think there's a decent chance inflation's turning back around and moving higher and they're 100% just extrapolating it to keep going. So like, I, I feel like for the last two, three years, it, it hasn't been that hard to look two, three moves ahead and they're just completely unable to do so. Well, for instance, and I'd forgotten about this, but I was talking to, maybe it was a friend. It was either a, it was either a client listener or it was a buddy of mine that listens to the show. And we were talking about something. I can't remember who it was recently though, probably in the last week and a half anyway. And they were like, Hey, I remember this show that you did. And he thought it was with you, but he couldn't remember who the guest was. And he's like, this was before COVID. And he goes, I remember you guys talking about when inflation finally shows up, the Fed's going to have to raise rates. And for the last 10 or 12 years, they've stuffed banks full of all this low interest rate debt. And you could see inflation actually make them have to jumpstart QE again. And we were having that discussion like five or six years, five years, four or five years ago, whatever it was. And then you turn over the Fed and you watch them walk right into it. And you're like, how did you not, how, like, how did you not think about, right? I mean, remember at the time you and I discussing, they're like, oh, the rate hikes are happening. What's going to blow up first? And it's like the Fed was shocked. You know what I mean? And you're like, wait, huh? Like you, they don't have, you look at a lot of those big banks. I, I bet you most... They may not have had even two or three percent of their paper that was paying north of three and a half percent. Oh yeah. Even if they had that, I mean, because even if it was longer term, most of it been refought, you know what I mean? Like been termed out and like they they were just giant duration risks. And that really that really kind of shook that whole thing caught me off guard a little bit, even though we'd talked about it. And the reason it caught me off guard is I figured the Fed had done something behind the scenes or warned them or – you know what I mean? Like right. it's like it's so obvious. It's not only that, but the re- regulators put pressure uh, – my best friend's a, a bank exec and they they were getting pressure from regulators to go buy a bunch of stuff whenever yields were just nothing on everything. Yeah. Because that was – that you think about it, it's the same time that we printed a ton of money. We The government was handing out money. So all of a sudden bank deposits were just rampaging. And they're like, whoa, 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 you got to go put that to work, you know? So, because like, my fr- I mean, my friend works at a little, a small credit union um, in the in the Midwest. And they were just like, no, we're not, we're not buying anything at these rates. No, thank you. This is insane. So what are they, what are they doing now? Like they're buying all their competitors because all the competitors took that regulatory pressure and went and made a bunch of 2% mortgages and crap, you know, and the, now they have problems. 
so what do we, what else do we have coming up for the rest of the week? This is kind of a slow week, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very slow week. Um, we get mortgages tomorrow, uh, consumer credit tomorrow, jobless claims Thursday. The, the big the big thing is CPI revisions Friday because that that could be big. If that, if that's big in either direction, that will move yields and and everything else because of it a lot. I, I do also think that, and I'm not calling guys, and I've said it again, and I and I I will keep saying it. If you're looking for an 0809 banking crisis, just look somewhere else. It ain't going to happen. Having said that. I do think it's interesting that we're having this conversation about the potential of needing to cut rates, the Fed being in that quandary. And at the same time, it looks like there's, it looks like there's some noise occurring in bank land again. I, I, I don't, that seems interesting to me. And I think that that's probably something you need to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, it's super important. Um, that, I think that's the only thing kind of keeping yields down right now is like yields, look at all this hot data and like, let's go, like, let's go way higher. Looking all the all the all the issuance we're going to have this year, yields want to go higher, and then they see a bank blow up, and like, well, hold on now, like we can't go too high. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, like we've had the debate about uh, productivity. Let, let's, for argument's sake, say I'm right. Let's say this thing it really is really strong. Then you're if you cut into a high productivity, I won't say a boom because that's a little bit of a misnomer. If you cut in a high productivity freight bottoming, uh, manufacturing bottoming. 3.7% unemployment or or something close to that like I, the the outcome for cutting into that is just there there's no mooring for asset prices if you do that there really No if be. you do no and that and that's what's scary to me because that, then I think that you're bringing in the possibilities of a real year year and a half parabolic type scenario which creates its own it, that that essentially creates its own Recession, financial crisis. One hundred, yeah, because asset price crash, all of it. Even if bottom is just a return to where we are today, it would be so violent. The, the, it, oh, yeah. the damage would right. be brutal. Right, It'd be brutal. So I, and this is our point. What we've been talking about. I just the recklessness of their policy. I know some of these things they have to do. It just amazes me how they, they so consistently, in an effort in their eyes to deal with current issues, they keep opening the door wider and wider for potential issues that are much larger that they can't deal with easily. Right. Because we, you and I have talked about this for years and it's, and it's as true today as it was 10 years ago. Eventually you run into problems that printed money doesn't fix. And when you do that, that's a much bigger problem than just running into a problem that printed money can't fix because it means that you've built an entire system and financial system on the back or on the ability to print money. And now you can't. Yeah, I think they they see it as like, hey, our only job is is inflation and, and jobs. So like, this other stuff's not a problem. But at the end of the day, if the Treasury and, and Congress are going to spend this kind of money and create this kind of heat, cycle management is now like whether it's written down or not, that is part of your job now. You you better well, price stability you, works both you better, ways. You better keep the cap on on the cycle from overheating. Price stability works both ways. Yeah, stability. Right? right, exactly. It's not putting a never-ending bid under the S and P 500, which is what their version of price stability has been up until this point. So, anyway, it'll be interesting to watch. We got to run. Join us again tomorrow. We will be back, keeping an eye on this, taking this journey with us, one day at a time. Until then, and always, as always, subscribe helps us out. Doesn't cost anything. So, we'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. 
The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.